1: SASSs and SIPs, PCLS and Section 32. These are just some of the terms and acronyms confusing individuals that are trying to plan for retirement. To help listeners understand, I spoke to Mike Morrison, Head of Pensions Development at AXA Winter to Wealth Management. So Mike, most of us will know the difference between a defined benefit pension plan or final salary pension and a defined contribution money purchase plan. But what are some of the more confusing terms that someone might come across? Let's start with something like Kimp and Comp. What does that mean?
2: Well, I think Kimp and Comp. Kimp is a contracted in money purchase scheme and Comp is a contracted out money purchase scheme. So as you say, Lucy, they are money purchase arrangements. So the pot of money will be turned into an income for you. The difference is really one's contracted into the state benefit and you get state benefits on top of it and one is contracted out. And something like Section 226 or RAC? Well, again, I mean, Section 226 contracts and retirement annuity contracts, um, the jargon's complicated, but they're exactly the same thing. And in effect, these were sort of the precursor to personal pensions, but for self-employed people. So they were individual plans. Individuals who weren't in an occupational scheme could take out and fund their individual pensions.
1: And were they ever called something that was slightly more easy to understand?
2: No, they've always really been known as retirement annuities. You know, and So RAPs or RACs or retirement annuity contracts um, has always been the, uh, um, the name for them.
1: And then something that probably some people have heard of already are SASSes.
2: SASSes, again, uh, small occupational pension schemes, so mainly for small companies, individuals took out SAS's for... Really, SAS had some advantages for small businesses in that they could use the, um, uh, the pension money for business planning, perhaps to lend back to the company company, but really just a small money purchase scheme for a small business. So what does it actually stand for? Well, it stands for small self-administered scheme. Uh, the issue being, because it was self-administered, there was the facility for, for small businesses to, to, as I say, use the pension for business planning.
1: And then EPP?
2: Uh, <laughs> executive um, pension plans, small company schemes, perhaps for individuals who had an employer and they wanted to fund uh, pension arrangements for them. Um, so, really similar to um, money purchase, but for smaller companies
1: just finally in this section
2: section thirty two section thirty two again we 're so fond of labeling pension contracts by the actual section of legislation that they that brought them about section thirty two contracts are simply buyout contracts where somebody perhaps was in an occupational pension scheme, um, a final salary pension scheme, they left that employment. The trustees didn't want the liability in the scheme and then transferred it into a Section 32 individual arrangement for that individual person.
1: And is something like the Section 32 scheme, does it have a, a common name?
2: I guess, if anything, it's a buyout contract just signalling that the trustees of the DB scheme have bought out the benefits and transferred them into a policy in the individual's name.
1: So those are all the kind of schemes when people are planning for retirement. What are the options people are faced with when they actually reach retirement?
2: Well, all of those schemes give you the option of two types of benefit. There's always going to be a lump sum available. In the old days, we used to call it tax-free cash, these days we call it the PCLS, mm-hmm. the Pension Commencement Lump Sum. Uh, one of the key things to look at is that under any occupational arrangement, i.e., an arrangement that was related to an employment, you know, there may be a complicated calculation as to how much cash you are allowed to take. So it'd be worth going back and finding out how much cash you are entitled to under the sort of personal pension or two two sixes. Again, generally you'd be looking at twenty five percent of the fund. But again, make sure if you've got old plans that you go back and just get that calculation done. Uh, Tax-free cash is, or sorry, PCLS, is something that a lot of people want to take from their pensions and uh, maximising that is quite often a priority.
1: And when did something like the tax-free cash actually change its name? When did it become known as something else?
2: Well, in 2006, we had what's uh, um, loosely been termed pension simplification, which in the industry perhaps was uh, um, laughed at somewhat in that it uh, took a set of complicated rules and made them a little bit more complicated Mm -hmm. under the guise of simplification. But at that point, the the aim was to try and simplify the whole pensions regime. And uh, that's why the name tax-free cash moved to pensions commencement lump sum.
1: So having actually worked out what you've got, then what are the options for actually taking your benefits?
2: Well, there's two real options. Firstly, you can just buy an annuity. Um, annuities are often often criticized in that uh, you perhaps don 't get the best investment return on them, but I think annuities really should be looked at as uh, an insurance contract against longevity you You take your pot of money that you 've got from your pension arrangement, you go to a provider and you buy a stream of income for the rest of your life. That stream of income can be level or it can be escalating to, uh, to inflation-proof it. You may be able to build in a guarantee period in case you die um, sooner than you thought. You may be able to provide a spouse's pension. The problem, again, though, is that all of those options do mean that you start from a lower level of income. So the question to ask yourself is, is a higher level of income really what you want to start with, or do you need to build in those other ancillary benefits?
1: And I guess from a jargon point of view, do, do all those different options have their own titles as well? They're known by their own names?
2: Uh, yes, I mean, very much escalation, guarantee period, spouses or dependents' benefits. You know, they do a little bit of what they say, but sometimes it's just cutting through the jargon to get to the, um, the real subject, I think.
1: Are there any alternatives to buying an annuity?
2: Well, the key thing is, uh, is the ability to do income drawdown. Uh, again, jargon in itself. But uh, after pension simplification, um, something as straightforward as income drawdown became known as USP, unsecured pension. Now, this really means that you're able to withdraw an income from your pension fund, subject to certain limits, um, and leave the rest of the money invested. So it really comes down to having an understanding of the level of income you want to take, but also being prepared to risk the rest of your money. Um, in an investment portfolio. So it might depend on whether you have other assets or not. Do you really need um, the maximum?
1: SAsIs and SIPs, PCLS and Section 32. These are just some of the terms and acronyms confusing individuals that are trying to plan for retirement. To help listeners understand, I spoke to Mike Morrison, Head of Pensions Development at AXA Winter to Wealth Management. So Mike, most of us will know the difference between a defined benefit pension plan or final salary pension and a defined contribution money purchase plan. But what are some of the more confusing terms that someone might come across? Let's start with something like KIMP and COMP. What does that mean?
2: Well, I think KIMP and COMP. KIMP is a contracted in money purchase scheme and COMP is a contracted out money purchase scheme. So as you say, Lucy, they are money purchase arrangements. So the pot of money will be turned into an income for you. The difference is really one's contracted into the state benefit and you get state benefits on top of it and one is contracted out.
1: And something like Section 226
2: or RAC... Well, again, I mean, Section 226 contracts and retirement annuity contracts, um, the jargon's complicated, but they're exactly the same thing. And in effect, these were sort of the precursor to personal pensions, but for self-employed people. So they were individual plans. Individuals who weren't in an occupational scheme could take out and fund their individual pensions.
1: And were they ever called something that was slightly more easy to understand?
2: No, they've always really been known as retirement annuities. You know, and So RAPs or RACs or retirement annuity contracts um, has always been the, uh, um, the name for them.
1: And then something that probably some people have heard of already are SASSes.
2: SASSes, again, uh, small occupational pension schemes, so mainly for small companies, individuals, took out SAS's for Really, SASSes had some advantages for small businesses in that they could use the, um, uh, the pension money for business planning, perhaps to lend back to the company. Company, but really, just a small money purchase scheme for a small business. So what does it actually stand for? Well, it stands for small self-administered scheme. Uh, the issue being, because it was self-administered, there was the facility for, for small businesses to, to, as I say, use the pension for business planning.
1: And then EPP?
2: Uh, <laughs> executive um, pension plans, small company schemes... Perhaps for individuals who had an employer and wanted that they wanted to fund uh, pension arrangements for them, um, so really similar to um, money purchase, but for smaller companies.
1: Just finally in this section, section 32
0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you as one of the largest integrated fee only registered investment advisors in the us. Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at corient.com. That's corient.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface.
2: Section 32, again, we're, we're so fond of labelling pension contracts by the actual section of legislation that, they, that brought them about. Section 32 contracts are simply buyout contracts where somebody perhaps was in an occupational pension scheme, um, a final salary pension scheme, they left that employment, the trustees didn't want the liability in the scheme, and then transferred it into a Section 32 individual arrangement for that individual person.
1: And is something like the Section 32 scheme, does it have a a common name?
2: I guess, if anything, it's a buyout contract, just signalling that the trustees of the DB scheme have bought out the benefits and transferred them into a policy in the individual's name.
1: So those are all the kind of schemes when people are planning for retirement. What are the options people are faced with when they actually reach retirement?
2: Well, all of those schemes give you the option of two types of benefit. There's always going to be a lump sum Available, in the old days we used to call it tax-free cash. These days we call it the PCLS, mm-hmm. the Pension Commencement Lump Sum. Uh, one of the key things to look at is that under any occupational arrangement, i.e., an arrangement that was related to an employment, you know, there may be a complicated calculation as to how much cash you're allowed to take. So it'd be worth going back and finding out how much cash you're entitled to under the sort of personal pension or two two sixes. Again. Generally, you'd be looking at 25% of the fund. But again, make sure if you've got old plans that you go back and just get that calculation done. Uh, Tax-free cash is, or sorry, PCLS, is something that a lot of people want to take from their pensions. And uh, maximising that is quite often a priority.
1: And when did something like the tax-free cash actually change its name? When did it become known as something else?
2: Well, in 2006, we had what's uh, um, loosely been termed pension simplification which in the industry perhaps was uh, um, laughed at somewhat in that it uh, took a set of complicated rules and made them a little bit more complicated Mm -hmm. under the guise of simplification. But at that point, the the aim was to try and simplify the whole pensions regime and uh, that's why the name Tax-Free Cash moved to pensions commencement lump sum.
1: So having actually worked out what you've got, then what are the options for actually taking your benefits?
2: Well, there's two real options. Firstly, you can just buy an annuity. Um, annuities are often often criticised in that uh, you perhaps don't get the best investment return on them, but I think annuities really should be looked at as uh, an insurance contract against longevity. You you take your pot of money that you've got from your pension arrangement, you go to a provider and you buy a stream of income for the rest of your life. That stream of income can be level or it can be escalating to, uh, to inflation-proof it. You may be able to build in a guarantee period in case you die um, sooner than you thought. You may be able to provide a spouse's pension. The problem, again, though, is that all of those options do mean that you start from a lower level of income. So the question to ask yourself is, is a higher level of income really what you want to start with, or do you need to build in those other ancillary benefits?
1: And I guess from a jargon point of view, do, do all those different options have their own titles as well? They're known by their own names?
2: Uh, yes, I mean, very much escalation, guarantee period, spouses or dependents' benefits. You know, they do a little bit of what they say, but sometimes it's just cutting through the jargon to get to the um, the real subject, I think.
1: Are there any alternatives to buying an annuity?
2: Well, the key thing is, uh, is the ability to do income drawdown. Uh, again, jargon in itself But uh, after pension simplification, um, something as straightforward as income drawdown became known as USP, unsecured pension. Now, this really means that you're able to withdraw an income from your pension fund, subject to certain limits, um, and leave the rest of the money invested. So it really comes down to having an understanding of the level of income you want to take, but also being prepared to risk risk the rest of your money um, in an investment portfolio. So it might depend on whether you have other assets or not. Do you really need um, the maximum income with no risk? If you do, possibly an annuity might be the answer. If you're prepared to take some risk, income drawdown could well be an alternative.
1: So it's still actually known as income drawdown as well as USP?
2: I think most people see it as income drawdown. USP is jargon, as, as we've said. Income drawdown sort of does what it says on the tin. You've taken income from the fund, leaving the rest of it invested. And you can, you can then buy an annuity at a later date. But again, it's down to investment management and making sure that uh, where you invest your money is commensurate with your, your risk profile and your income needs.
1: Finally, what factors should people consider in their choice?
2: I think the key thing is, is you know, is risk. How much risk are you prepared to take to start off with? As I said before, no risk, buy an annuity. If you're prepared to take some risk, and you know, look at perhaps the equation is how much income you need versus how much money you want to pass on to your your family or dependents, then perhaps leaving it invested in income drawdown might be a better alternative. But then don't forget risk. You know, risk comes in three forms, really, in income drawdown. There's investment risk, i.e. have you put it in the right funds, and are they performing in line with what you want to achieve? There's longevity risk. Are you going to die after your money has run out? You know, the the advantage of an annuity is it will pay you for the rest of your life. And these days, with life expectancy increasing, you know, longevity risk, you could live to be 120-odd, perhaps. And finally, inflation risk. You know, we're in an era of low inflation at the moment, but lots of commentators suggest that may come to an end soon. Make sure you've built in some form of um, inflation proofing into your uh, investment management strategy, just in case inflation does take off. The effect of inflation on a, a level income can be quite dramatic, even over a relatively short period of time.
1: That was Mike Morrison, Head of Pensions Development at Axel Winterto Wealth Management, translating some of the more confusing pension terms into plain English. I'm Lucy Warwick ching Money Online Editor of the Financial Times. If you would like to read more about pensions, then visit our in-depth page on the website at www.ft.com forward slash pensionscrisis. And if you haven't seen our new personal finance blog, then go to www.ft.com forward slash moneymatters. ft.com forward slash pensionscrisis. And if you haven't seen our new personal finance blog, then go to www.ft.com forward slash matters.